In the heat of the moment, you're not just keeping it calm, you're keeping it cool too. With an ice cold cold brew, and not just any cold brew, but one that's slow steeped and mixed with brown sugar and molasses flavor. With a cold foam infused with brown sugar coolness and a cinnamon sugar sprinkle on top. That's keeping it calm, cool, and cold brewed. With Dunkin's new brown sugar cream cold brew, America runs on Dunkin. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. The world is always on. But you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now Sale, save up to 60% on Sealy with queen mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep. Welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. And we are joined again for another special episode with my father. Um, welcome back to the show, Dad. No problem. Right. Now, this week, we are going back pretty much as far as we can go, I would say, for, for mo- well, it's not modern history, is it? This is ancient history. Um, I think I've only done one episode that's gone as far back, or slightly further, which was Tutankhamun. And that was also covering Howard Carter. So this one, we're going back and we're staying back, aren't we? We certainly are. Right, so we are talking about probably the most famous empire ever to rule Europe. And we're going back to the Roman times. And we're talking about something that you probably don't know very much about. Because this is something that I didn't know about. In fact... Having learnt about the Romans, even studied the Romans at university, I had no idea this even happened. So this is uh, a pretty amazing story. So it'll be a good one for you then. Yeah, it'll be a good one for me. So I've done a little bit of research on it since you told me, but um, yeah, I had no no idea this even happened. So okay, amazing. So have you seen the Netflix program Barbarians? I haven't. Um, I, I might be something worth watching, though. Uh, is it worth watching? Or the, the series is very, very good. But <laughs> the characters that it that are in it, yeah, are the characters we're going to talk about. Okay. The storyline from the Netflix series is complete rubbish. Right. Okay, that makes <laughs> sense. They tend to do that quite a lot. Um, I, I get a lot of queries about. Um, about the Viking, the Viking show, mm. um, and again I say the same thing. It's a brilliant show, but historically it's crap. Mm. So yeah, this is along the same lines. Okay, so what are we going to talk about then? It's uh, we're going. I'm going to tell you all about the Battle of the Teutoburg Forest. Right. Um, it's also uh, the Verium disaster. Yep. And it occurred in nine A.D. Okay, this is one I I was known it as Rome's missing legion. Or is Ooh, that... that's a good one. Um, the missing legion from Rome is the ninth Hispania, right? And that was the one that was stationed in Britain and disappeared. That was the one in Scotland, wasn't it? Mm, we are right. They are not involved in this. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, right. Okay. okay. I'm getting way too far ahead of myself. You now. are, aren't you? Right. Yeah. Might, might might do that, yeah. the Ninth Legion. Yeah. Anyway, um, this is probably the most important and influential battle in European history. Okay. Despite it, it's been lost to history. Very few Europeans know anything about it, but no Roman was ever allowed to forget it. The outcome of this battle defined modern Western Europe and it split its population into two distinct factions who have been in disagreement ever since. Yep. Okay, it's it's a split that the European Union was set up to address and hasn't. 
Yeah. Um, and if this battle had never happened, there would only be one type of European population. There'd have been no religious wars, no Charlemagne, no Hungarian Empire, no Franz Ferdinand, no First World War, Spanish Revolution, Nazis, Second World War or Hitler. The world would have been a completely different place. Would it? I mean, we're talking here, obviously, for, for those of you who haven't, so I'm assuming a lot of people would have clocked on there. Um, you're talking pretty much the the, the gist between uh, Christianity, Catholics, and what would have been this time pagans. Yeah, yeah. You have two uh, two types of European. Yeah. Uh, you have the uh, Germanic. Yeah, which we are British are. Yeah, and that's Britain, Germany, northern type, northern parts of Europe. Mm-hmm. And you have the the Romanian, Romanian, yeah, which would be Ro- Roman, the Roman, yeah, which, which is, is Spanish, French, Italian, Italians. that that side of things, the Swiss, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go back. We're going to go right back to fifteen A.D. Okay, okay, in the year fifteen A.D., which. Would be uh, 0015. Yep. A Roman army led by Germanicus Julius Caesar entered a forest uh, in northern Europe and they made their way through dense woodlands and swamps. What they found was horrific. They found a scene of utter slaughter. Thousands of skeletons stripped of armour, weapons and clothing. Human skulls nailed to trees. Headless skeletons tied up, evidence of human sacrifice, and the bones of dead men and animals lay absolutely everywhere. Uh, The legionaries couldn't tell the difference between men and animals, Roman or tribesmen, so Germanicus had them all buried together. The exact location of this was lost through history Mm -hmm. until 1987, when an amateur archaeologist discovered a vast amount of first-century Roman artefacts. Okay, dog. So, where did this unremembered battle take place? Uh, it took place in 200 square miles of Teutoburg Forest in what is now known as Germany. Okay, dog. Does the forest still exist? Parts of it. Yeah. Okay. The year it took place, 9 AD, six years before he went there and found the remains those bones were laying on the ground for six years so who was the battle between who do you reckon obviously the romans yeah um, i mean in germany so you're going to be talking of just a group of tribes clans it's not going to have been a a full army or potentially an army that was banded together Mm -hmm. You have on one side the greatest empire that the world has ever known, the Roman Empire, Mm -hmm. and on the other side, combined tribes of Germania, which is the Northern Europeans. So you have the Romanic and the Germanic, the two types of European that exist today. Yes. Okay, there's only four counts of this battle that have survived, and unfortunately, none of them are eyewitness accounts. So, but they're the best references we've got. Okay, dogs. All right. So, to properly tell this story, I've got to go back to the year 16 BC. Right. Okay, dogs. All right. This is where it gets complicated because you're now minus 16, and the battle happened in plus nine. Yeah. So, although when you say 16, <laughs> you sort of think. Yeah. Yeah. This is okay. So. The Roman Empire had been expanding for years and it had been assimilating conquered tribes into the empire, made them pay taxes, enslaving those that they thought could rise up against them. Um, Problem is, Rome had made an empire about conquering other pre-existing empires. So in reality, when Rome took over an area, um, they conquered pre-existing people. Yeah, people. So... They're already these people are already used to being under invading armies. It's not the case in Germania, which is now modern Germany. 
Germania was just wild. It was an area on Rome's north border. And there were open plains to the east and massive forests and swamplands to the north. Rome was used to winning the majority of battles. Wasn't always the case. In Germania, the indigenous population were tribal. They occasionally came together to cause problems. um, And it was populated by these tribes who were independent and constantly fought each other. It reminds me very similar of, if you've ever watched Game of Thrones, the Wildlings. Have you ever watched Game of Thrones? Yes. Yeah, very much so. You know what I mean? Like, then for this one battle, they all decided to band under one banner. Hmm. Yeah. But as a general rule, they just fight each other. Yeah. They hate each other. Well, Rome basically played on their independence. They favoured some tribes over others. And it was somewhat like buying allegiances. And in some instances, to ensure the compliance of some of these tribes, they took members of the royal family hostage. Right, okay. Um, These so-called noble hostages were not made slaves. Uh, They were usually taken as children, placed with an upper-class Roman family in Rome, and if suitable, trained to be Romans. Yeah, so I mean that that's quite common from that time, uh, even up to sort of medieval history, where they would take children as as sort of almost like an insurance policy that you behave. Yeah, that, realistically, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, some of these hostages grew up and went into the Roman military. One of these hostages was uh, a boy called, or later called by the Romans, Arminius and his brother. Uh, They were both sons of uh, a tribe called the Sherezi, and that was in central Germania. Uh, Both of their tribal names have been lost. We we don't know what their tribal names were. So you have Arminius and his brother. And they were taken at some time between 11 BC and 9 BC. One disappeared into the mist of time. The other became a national hero. Mm, yeah, hence why it's Arminius and his brother, not... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the Roman military machine was the greatest there had ever been for its time. They had, over the centuries, been used to victories. Uh, they were convinced of their own superiority. And they possessed an army that was virtually invincible. They'd developed a way of fighting that was disciplined. Their soldiers were well-trained, well-equipped. And it... That helped Rome build a vast empire which lasted hundreds of years. Yes. I mean, Rome didn't always have its own way. In fact, in in 16 BC, uh, the same area as the later battle, uh, a German tribe called Shigambri attacked and defeated the 5th Legion uh, with uh, with its leader, Marcus Lollius. And that caused the Legion to lose its eagle. That the taking of a Roman eagle from a legion was the ultimate disgrace that any legion could suffer. And it wasn't a very common occurrence. Yeah, I mean, and was if I'm right, the 5th Legion was the equivalent of their SAS as well. You know, being like they, the, were, they were, they a, were the one of the best an, an elite legion. Um, and that's oh, yeah. where they, if, I, if I'm right, I don't know if you're going to cover it actually, now I was going to say it, but... Um, I can't remember the bloody name of it, but you'll know when I say it. Basically, they, uh, the punishment was to stand them all up in a line and to pick the like every fifth man or every tenth man and just kill them. Well, that's why it's called decimation. Decimation, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. If, if one of one of the soldiers had done something wrong, yeah. then one of the um, punishments was just pick a random person. You pick every tenth person. Yeah. And just execute them. Yeah. So yes, it did happen. It's mental. Oh yeah, and it's uh, the the word decimation is used quite regularly, and people don't actually realise. Yeah, how, mm. how brutal the word actually is. Well, that's right. I mean, the Roman war machine was made up of twenty five legions. Yeah, each legion had six and a half thousand men, uh, of which six thousand were fighting men. That's um, and this was in an age when the average European village consisted of about five hundred people. So you're looking at a single Roman legion was 13 times the size of a village. Yeah, it's not little, is it's it? It's not a little thing. 
Yeah, I mean, the Roman army was huge compared to the rest of their known world, and, and battles in this era were normally won by the side that had the most soldiers. And, of course, that's going to be Rome. The battles were usually definitive, with the victor thoroughly beating the enemy on the field and then going back to their village and basically killing those that were left, including the non-fighting elements. You know, Roman rule was supposedly fair but harsh. It did involve the legions taking prisoners and they took them for slaves, as long as along with some of the civilians that they thought was were going to be um, useful and being yeah. able to work. Because Rome was a slave-based society. I mean, the taking of slaves was necessary. In, in addition, in order to keep the conquered lands and tribes in order, the children of tribal leaders were also taken, hence Arminius and his brother. Because of their status, they were sometimes integrated into the Roman society. These captives could even become Roman citizens. Now, we're on about the, the royalty yeah. leaders of the tribe, not your average bod no, on the street yeah but even even that i mean a lot of people hear obviously about the gladiators and that's one of the most famous parts of roman history is is the gladiators um but even when you look at that a lot of those were slaves that were put into the fighting pits and mm. taught to fight and and they they could gain their citizenships as well so it wasn't impossible for a a slave to actually well that's right i mean the roman empire during this time had no definitive borders although the main borders were normally along natural lines like rivers and and and, and places like that but for the purpose of this podcast we're going to deal with no rome's northern border and for years the roman empire had stopped in what had, what was known as germania at the main border of this that they used was the river rhine and Germania, around the time of Jesus, because that's the time we're talking, Yeah, uh, it was a trackless land full of mountains, forests. People were basically fiercely independent. They were warlike. They were tribal. They fought each other. The settlements were small and scattered around. And compared with the Romans, they were just completely disorganized. Um, and these facts enabled Rome to invade and keep some form of order. In 7 AD, the job of bribing and coercing the tribes was given to a gentleman called Publius Quintilius Varus. Okay. Um, and he was a relative of the Roman Emperor Augustus. Uh, he wasn't royalty. He was a lawyer who had married the emperor's great-niece. But Varus was a good administrator, and he was a bit of a fair man. Yeah. But he wasn't a military leader. Fair enough. So he's just a he's just a lawyer. Eighteen years before the the battle we're going to talk about, the son of the tribal chief was taken as a hostage. He was placed with a noble family who named him Arminius. Yeah. He learnt Latin. He became a Roman citizen. He joined the Roman military, and he rose to the rank of equestrian, which is a Roman knight, horseback cavalry. He was a well-respected officer, and he became a well-respected officer in the Roman Auxilia Cavalry. The Auxilia Cavalry is the non-Roman-born cavalry. Right, okay. Yeah. He was Germanic, even though he was raised as a hostage to keep the Carazi tribe in line. He was trained in all military Roman tactics of the time. Okay. He'd been a hero... He'd won battles with the legions, but he always held a grudge against Rome for the way that his tr people were being treated and made second class. You can understand that, really. His chance came in 7 AD, early 8 AD. Varus, who was in command of the Roman legions in the area at the time, needed somebody Rome could trust to mediate between Rome and the tribes. And due to his pre-Roman background and his rank, Arminius was sent to assist Varus as a translator and an advisor. Okay. So he was like advisor, became advisor. Once he reached Germania, Arminius secretly began to plot against his adopted country. Mm. Arminius frequently acted as a messenger between the Romans and the Germanic tribes. And it was in this role he was able to get the tribal leaders together. Yeah. So Rome at the time only fought 
during the summer months. Well, I suppose if you pick your battles, yeah. you, you might and as well pick when it's nice. In weather. the winter, they retreated back to fortified towns. Mm. So when spring of 9 AD came about, some of the German tribes partitioned Varius. And uh, these tribes, basically, they petitioned Varus for assistance with roads, infrastructure and such. So they wanted the Romans to build roads between the tribes. Yeah. And and, uh, and they made good roads. Yeah. We still use them now in this country, Roman roads. We do. I think the A5 Watling Way is one of them, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So he agreed. But he's not stupid. He gave, he sent out a number of cohorts okay. to do the work. A cohort is about 500 people. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got several of those going out. But he, Varus, was not that sort of stupid. What he did is he said, yeah, you can have these people. They'll build your roads for you. They'll they'll protect your village while they're there. But during the winter, while we're not here, you house them, you feed them. And they, they agreed to it. Towards the end of the summer, the year AD 9, Varus starts to receive reports that some of the cohorts he had sent were being attacked whilst either road building or out on patrol. Uh, I mean, it took a long time for word to reach. All, yeah. you know, it's, it's not Facebook, is it? No, it's... it's you know, it's you're talking time. several days to get the messages through to him. But um, although they appeared spontaneous, they were actually being organised by Arminius. Right. Um, and Varus, basically, he believed in the invincibility of the Rome legions, so he's basically not worried about him and considered these, these attacks trivial. Not everybody in the group of, of Varius's group were actually believing that Arminius was being honest. His father-in-law, a gentleman called Suggestes, was very, very wary of Arminius, and he relayed his opinions to Varus directly. Suggestes was so concerned that he voiced them a bit too much. Mm. Uh, Varus had him kicked out of the camp. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, who are you going to believe? The loyal, honoured officer of the Roman army with 20 years of service or some bod who was a rebel two years earlier? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. So what Varus decided was that the loyal tribes would band together and with the cohorts he'd sent could almost defeat any opposition. So he decided he was going to take his forces back across the Rhine uh, to the fortified towns just for the winter. So Varus actually did nothing about these attacks that he was getting information on. It caused Arminius a little bit of problem because he hadn't actually counted for that. He hadn't really worked at that 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 would be an option. Yeah. So he decided he was going to put his sec- the second part of his plan into action. On the 6th of September, 9 AD, having completed all the preparations, Varus at the head of his army, led three legions, and that would be the 17th, 18th, and 19th legions, back to their winter quarters. Okay, so they so all talking, packed up and they started to move. You're talking 18, 19 and a half thousand men. Yeah. Jesus. Plus, baggage train, wives, children, all the other bits that go with them. Yeah, so a minimum of 25,000. Yep. There's a lot of people. And it meant the whole force entering the German forest that covered the area. But they're going to be travelling on known routes Hmm. and known roads. So once the legions were marching, Arminius reports to Varus that the tribes in the north were revolting against the Roman rule. And he added the fact that some of the loyal tribes were asking for assistance. No revolt was actually taking place, but Varus not being the brightest bulb in a box, accepted it without question. He decided there was sufficient time left in the summer for him to march his three legions north, quell the revolt before turning west and then going back to the fortified towns for the winter. He could then increase his standing in the eyes of the emperor and bring the area under full Roman control. Yeah. Arminius requests permission to leave the group and assist in assembling the auxiliary units that were spread out around the region, the cohorts that had been sent out earlier. 
Yeah. Um, as well as rallying the loyal Germanic tribes to uh, to assist Varus. Of course, Varus agrees to this because uh, it's normal procedure. Under the circumstances, Arminius was his most trusted advisor. He speaks German. He was a member of the Chavezi tribe. Yeah. Yeah, the whole of that. So Arminius disappears off. He leaves behind a substantial number of his assistants... Uh, um, to act as spies and to basically try and fool Varus. They'd also act as guides into the forest. Now, Roman army during that time would actually move quite fast. Um, it wasn't unknown for 20 miles a day, which was normal. Um, to be honest, in fact, new recruits were actually required to complete 20 Roman miles uh, with two and a half kilos in uh, five hours. Wow. And that was known as the regular step or the military pace. And they had to do that before they could even join a legion. So, so you know, they didn't move slowly. No. No. The legions started moving off on the 6th of September. And Varus set up a marching camp. Okay, so they marched. They set up a camp in the sort of late evening. And on the morning of the 7th, Varus informs the legions that they are, would not be heading west. They were going to assist the loyal tribes in the north. But he sort of he basically sweetened that with the promise of loot, war spoils for everybody. Yeah. Um, so the whole army, along with th- three legions, the auxiliary troops, the, the families, the baggage, moved off into the forest, led by the guides left behind by Arminius. Uh, due to the terrain, it's impossible to to go as a single unit. Yeah. Okay. The only way that they could march through this forest was in a long column. And eventually it would stretch the 20,000 plus Romans over a distance of seven to eight miles. That's wow. one hell of a long snake. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty pretty yeah. big. Ideal conditions, a Roman legion marched in, in columns of 4, 8, 12 or 16 across. Mm-hmm. But in the forest, they could only manage 2 or 3 across at best. Right, okay. So you're really, really sort of... Thing. The weather wasn't favourable. It had been raining heavily. There was a thunderstorm approaching. Varus's column reached an exceptionally heavily forest area. Um, and it's actually at a place called uh, Calcresi Hill. You've got a great big bog at that point, and while they're marching, this storm appears. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you've got thunder, you've got lightning. Now, bear in mind, these people are praying to gods that control thunder and lightning and yeah and such like. Yeah. The ground was very, very muddy. The German tribes were actually waiting along the route. Um, they were on high ground between a series of prefabricated fortifications. So they'd made the little route that the, the Romans were going to walk along Yeah. into the sort of built barricades along that looked and were camouflaged. Yeah. Okay. Um, the legions, instead of marching 20 miles, could only march 16 on the first day. Right. So um, and and to the God-fearing Romans, that's a sign of you know that's not good. Yeah. So Varus decides that he's going to send his cavalry forwards to scout the area. They came back and they said, "Yep, there's an area of open ground ahead. That's what we're going to go for." At that point, the tribes start to attack the column, but they didn't attack it at a single point. What they did is they attacked it in. Little bits. Yeah. So if they attacked the back, the front would never hear of it. No, because it's eight miles it's away. It's eight miles away, yeah. And it's in the middle of a forest, so that's it. From the position on the high ground, on the high ground, tribesmen start throwing javelins and fire arrows. Some ran down the hill, hand-to-hand fighting. But being on disadvantaged terrain, mud and really, really not their normal fighting yeah. position, they, they're caught by surprise, and they couldn't take up defensive formations. No shield wall could be created, and the Roman arrows were ineffective, as were the spears, because they're throwing them uphill. 
Yeah. <laughs> They're sitting ducks, basically. Yeah. So, due to the Roman formation, Varus couldn't get a clear picture of what's happening. So, Varus splits his forces into two. One to hold the sides, while the other raced forwards yeah. and put a camp in the open space. Okay. They did that. They built what they called a marching camp in expectation of a battle. The battle they thought was going to happen didn't. Yeah. The tribesmen, having attacked, disappeared into the forest, sort of hit and run. Uh, and this type of warfare just didn't occur to the Romans. They had no way of dealing with it. No, it's not used to. Um, and Arminius had picked this way of fighting because he knew that. Yeah. Right. So darkness falls on the first day, and basically Varus and the survivors make their... Uh, camp in the uh, in the open area there was a large number of casualties but Varus still believed that this was evidence that the revolt was actually taking place and he must help the loyal tribes further north the night was quiet there was no no attacks nothing on the 8th of September the legions started up again but as they walked on the route they took got narrower and the forest was more dense the morning went well but in the afternoon the attacks started again, and they were again on the sides of the strung-out column. Now they're not the, the attacks weren't designed by Arminius to stop Varus; they were only to slow him down. It was raining; it was still thundering. The Romans were cold, exhausted, demoralized. They were soaked. Their weapons were heavy. Um, some historians have even speculated that they, the heavy rain, had affected the bowstrings, preventing them from being used. On, yeah. the, on the Roman side. And it was at this point that the Germanic guides left behind by Arminius buggered off. <laughs> so the ones that are at the front leading them have gone. Yeah. They're in the middle of this forest. They don't know where they're going. The column breaks into open ground and another marching camp is actually established. So the rain gets heavier. Some of the trees fall. The ground gets all soaky, all soaked and mud. And, and basically some of it was, was just impassable yeah and the romans are now stuck in the middle of this forest and they don't know which way to go they're lost yeah so varus holds a war council because without the guides he's got no option but to try and make for the nearest roman town which is 60 miles to the west but they've got to make use of the forest paths they can't cut their way through which is what they had been doing so varus decides He's going to leave the wounded, the baggage train, immobilise the baggage, immobilise the wagons, and that would allow the, the legions to actually move a lot faster. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. 9th of September, the legions they moved out of the open ground into another wooded area, and the column gets attacked by tribes who have now increased in number. Because mm. yeah, they've heard that Arminius was winning, and some of these tribes have gone, we want some of that. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> We'll have some of that. I mean, the Romans found it difficult to fight on the confined area. The cavalry and infantry got in each other's way. It just wasn't a pleasant place to be. And Varius decides that he's going to order the cavalry to take a different path and try and make contact with some of the friendly tribes, <laughs> not knowing that there weren't any. Yeah. But he's not twigged by this point. Like, Yeah, he knows he's in shit. Yeah. You know, he's he, he, he's worked this out, you know, he's, he's now got a big problem. Cavalry, under uh, an officer called Valor, was attacked by the tribesmen, who, funnily enough, used the Roman weapons that they'd captured, and, and basically wiped them out. Yeah. When the news finally reached Varus, he was in another marching camp that he'd set up that evening. So he's now got a large proportion of his legions are dead. The situation is desperate and he knows that he's going to lose this one. He takes the only option he's got. He commits suicide. Yeah. So do a large number of the senior officers because they know that if they get captured, their fate is going to be horrendous. Yeah, and if they don't get captured and they get out, it's still going to be horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> if the only the officers come out and they've lost 20,000 men... Mm -hmm. Rome didn't deal well with so, things like that. I mean, with with Varus gone, uh, the remaining forces fell basically to two to two officers. They weren't senior officers. 
Lucius and Caionicus. And what turned out to be the last day of of the battle. Echius led half the remaining legion forces away from the camp, followed a couple of hours later by Caionicus with the other half. They were still a large fighting unit, several thousand men. Yeah. But despite the rain and all the conditions, the march went well until the early afternoon when they came across a large wooden rampart, basically a wooden wall. Right. It was that wooden wall that was later discovered in a, in 1987, which is how come they found the scene of the battle. Okay. So, realising it was a trap, Echius sent two cohorts to clear the way. That's a thousand men. At that point, Arminius had caught up with the marching camp. He'd found Varus's body. He'd cut the head off, nailed it to a tree. All the other bodies were just basically attacked and the tribesmen disappeared into the forest in pursuit. It didn't take long for Arminius to catch up with Caionicus's force. Complete annihilation. Wiped out that force. No issues whatsoever. Attacked from behind. Ran through. Gone. Now Arminius has got several thousand soldiers. Tens of thousands of tribesmen by this point. Mm. But he's just taken out probably about a similar number as well. It's not like he's just taken out a few hundred men. He's still taken out a good, good 10, yeah, good, yeah. Arminius continues on through the forest. He uh, comes across the back end of Echius's column and attacks that. The last Romans to actually die were those two cohorts that uh, Echius had sent to clear the ramparts. Some of them took their own lives. They were going to lose. They committed suicide. Some surrendered and some attempted to flee. Only a handful got out of the forest. You're talking less than 50. Really? That's uh, that's quite shocking, considering how many men went in. Oh, yes. A fair number of uh, the legionaries were captured. They were enslaved, or some of them were sacrificed to the German gods. And all three legions were completely annihilated. In the history of Rome, there would never be another 17th, 18th or 19th legions. They never reformed them. All three eagles were captured and they basically took all they could. They took all the metal, all the armour, all the clothing uh, and just left everything else there. And it was as it was when uh, they went in six years later. Yeah, just left them there. When Augustus, who was the emperor of Rome back in his little Roman place, um, he heard of the defeat. He didn't cut his hair or shave for months, and he was often heard during the night banging his head against the wall, muttering the words, Quintilius Varus, give me back my legions. Wow. Um, He even ordered night patrols in Rome to prevent uprisings that he thought would happen when the population found out that the invincible Roman legions weren't invincible. Wow, that's mental. With... The 17th, 18th and 19th legions gone, there was nothing standing in the way between Germania and Rome. So if the tribesmen had have decided, they could have gone down and they would have got to Rome and they'd have wiped Rome out. Because all the other Roman legions were over in Spain or in Egypt or in other, other areas of the world. Yeah. Augustus, he knew it, but he did everything in his power to keep the information away from the general public. And although the Germans or the Germanian tribes had won this victory, they just remained separate tribes. And it was six years before any Roman actually went back into that Teutoburg forest. Wow. Did they, I mean, obviously you say, obviously they knew about this. So when Caesar went back in, do you think he was expecting to find something? Or was it just a general... Yeah, they went looking for yeah they were expecting to find something they were expecting to find something but probably not as much as what they actually saw. um having found the battle site germanicus caesar went on to raid some of the german tribes and he recovered two of the golden eagles one in 15 ad and the other in 16 ad the final roman eagle was recovered in 41 ad 32 years after it was taken wow some of the defeated legionnaires were taken and managed to survive 25 years as Germanic slaves 
before they were rescued. You fight for Rome, you end up getting taken prisoner, 25 years a slave before you get released, or you get freed. That's mental. Like I said, the 17th, 18th and 19th legions were never resurrected, and they just ceased to exist. The battle was and remains Rome's greatest defeat and one of the most decisive in world history. Well, yeah, you're talking nearly 100% of people died. That's, yeah. That never happens in battle. Mm. I mean, first of all, you've got to give credit to Arminius for plotting it and, and executing a well... Uh, uh, just doing everything he did against the world's most advanced superpower. His victory ensured that Rome never again tried to occupy Germania, and the battle has confirmed throughout history that there are two types of people that populate Europe, northern and southern. Yeah. Romanic and Germanic. And that's been the cause of conflicts ever since. Although I'm not sure I want to be considered Germanic, but I get the point. It's... Mm. uh... I mean, I'm British. Arminius became the leader of the Terezi tribe, and he continued to fight the Romans. He uh, he fought Germanicus in battles of Pontus, Longi, Agravarian, Idastivo, and uh, the German nobles were ended up scared that he was growing too big for his boots. So uh, Arminius got assassinated in 21 AD. Right, okay, so he's won them like their independence almost, and then they're thinking, he's getting a bit too big-headed now, let's just get him out of the way. Yeah. yeah. He was 37 or 38 when he was, he was assassinated. Quite old at that, do you know what I mean, for mm. that time. He's remembered in Germanic legends for generations, and his name eventually just becomes that, just yeah. a legend. Um, in the 1800s, when German nationalism became a little bit more prevalent, a statue depicting Arminius was erected on on a hill in the Teutoburg Forest. That was oh. in 1838. And here's a bit you'll like, you'll, you'll like. A very, very similar statue was erected in New Ulm, Minnesota, in the US, 1897. Huh. Why? German immigrants into, into uh, the US. That's quite cool. I mean... <laughs> Some historians paint Varus badly, but I think, to be honest, unfairly, with a negative sort of vibe. Yeah, it doesn't seem... When he came to Germania, he was in new territory. He didn't know enough about the little petty politics of the tribe. Um, He'd been ordered to quell any rebellion very quickly, and his most trusted advisor given to him was Arminius, who knew the region... Uh, he, he was. It served Rome brilliantly for twenty years, you know. And Varus, was the problem, really. Yeah, Varus was a competent commander, but he wasn't a brilliant one. And his record, actually, up to the Teutoburg Forest, really didn't show any signs of him being incompetent. He was just in unfamiliar territory in a rushed campaign and fell into probably a brilliant trap. Yeah, and it's probably the battle would probably have lasted a whole week if you include hunting down of small pockets of legionnaires and such like. Wow. So it took a whole week for them to wipe out three legions, but they did it. The scene of the battle remained lost to history, despite considerable attempts to find it, because obviously the historians do that. But in 1987, uh, an amateur archaeologist found a substantial number of Roman artefacts in a field, and that included Roman coins, but the coins had been stamped, stamped actually with Varus's mark. Now, given uh, that only a governor of a province was allowed to do this, and Varus was made governor in 7 AD, but died in 9 AD, yeah, it's got to come from those two years. Yeah. So they did a little bit of excavation, and they found the rampart, the scene of the Romans' last stand. Wow. It's I suppose. How... I mean, I've got to say, my personal opinion is Varus made mistakes. He put his trust in a man that had some hidden agenda. It didn't make him unco- incompetent. It didn't make him a bad leader. No. It's just sometimes the bloke opposite is just better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree. <laughs> I mean, I think he was from from listening to that and 
I think he was he was a bit unlucky. Um, I think there were a lot of things that could have changed the outcome. Uh, I think when you look at modern technology, radio would have been a massive. Well, radio would have cured his problem, yeah. wouldn't it? Do you know what I mean? It was it wasn't necessarily that he he you know that he was incompetent. It was the fact that there was nothing there to to mm. actually make him. Yeah, realize. De- decent set of waterproofs and, and a waterproof mm. bowstring might have helped. Yeah, and you know, you're talking, it's, it, like you said, if you go in two abreast and these weren't walking through a forest, you're not within arm's distance of the people in front of you. It's a dense forest. Yeah. I mean, it's not, so a, it's, it's not a small sort of, these, these trees were like, you couldn't squeeze between the trees. You had to go sort of zigzaggy through the trees. Yeah. You know, and if you're two abreast and you're used to marching, Eight, twelve, sixteen abreast, mm. and your fighting formation is to form a square, sixteen by sixteen or thirty-two by thirty-two. Yeah, and that's how you fight. When how you're you... stuck in sort of side by side with somebody, you, you don't have a chance. No, no. And when you're talking again, sort of potentially hundreds kind of coming down a hill to two, to two. Yeah, you, you, you... I mean. Have a have a have a if you get a chance, have a look at Netflix's Barbarians. Yeah, I will do. Because the story it's based loosely on this. This is fact. Netflix is fiction. Yeah. But the characters are still there and some of it Yeah I mean, is possibly true. We're looking at there's only four accounts of this battle in history and none of them were written at the time. No. So you're talking historians that weren't there, didn't see it, and are, are working on hearsay from others. Yeah, you're working on, on very little evidence, and that's mm. one of the the hardest things with history, mm. is is the lack of evidence, especially when you're talking back to this, this sort of time period, the lack of evidence, or the fact that you're trying to make out what happened from an archaeological dig 2,000 mm. years after. I mean, after. The, the Romans were that good at fighting, okay? That what they did they would form up in a square. Yeah. The front rank would hold the shields, and they are big shields. Yeah, they would. The person behind would hold a shield over the top. Mm-hmm. Somebody would come running in, and they could hack and do all sorts with the shield, but it wasn't going anywhere. And the, the Romans had a very short stabbing sword yeah. called a gladius, and they'd just stab between the shields. And then after six minutes, six to eight minutes... The front one, the front rank, would turn and the number two would take the front rank. So if you're talking, uh, say, 32 in a line, when the front goes to the back, he ain't going to fight again for another hour, two hours. Hmm. You get a chance to chill out. And and then the Romans just move forwards, over and just walk over the dead bodies and just keep stabbing. And, the, of course, the enemy is coming towards you with a... Uh, with a shield wall, but it's a big shield wall that you could actually stand behind because they're like four and a half, five foot shields. Yeah, and it's it like was, an armored tank. It's say, a human tank. Yeah, basically. and that's all it is. So that's their way of fighting. When you put them into a column, they Did, can't do that. No, and, and that's why they got do. beaten. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? You, you know, you do. I mean, obviously they were beatable. You know, the Roman Empire collapsed. Well, I'll tell you what. I might do another one for you at some point. Yeah? Yeah? I think so. I think that would be good. Do Bodica. Ah, do you know what? I've I've been looking into it. I've been looking into it. And for those of you who don't know, um, well, there's, there's statues all over all over Britain of a um, queen of the ice. warrior queen. Yeah. Um Probably we'll tell you. We'll, I'll, I'll sort it out at some point. We'll do. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. That's very you, you, good for you the can, British. You can either turn around and call her. She's nobody knows how to pronounce her name correctly, so it goes as two. It's either Bodicea or Boudica. Well, from what I from what I remember, it was I was always told Bodicea, but from what I'm aware, Bodicea was the Roman translation, and Boudica and is the British version. So we learn Bodicea when you're younger because history is written by the winners and the Romans eventually hmm. Yeah. We'll do we'll, Yeah, we'll my, do that. We'll we'll cover that. That's a good that's a good that's story. A good that is a very good story. Yeah. The Romans don't always win. No, they don't. <laughs> anyway. No. 
But yeah, no, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Like I said, it's uh, it's nice to go back to ancient history for some of these episodes and and cover a few a few things that um, you probably don't learn. You know, like I said, we learn we learn about the Romans at school. Um, I even did the Romans for university, um, but didn't know didn't know about this battle until you mentioned it, and obviously mm. did a little bit of bit of research myself. Um, but yeah, obviously, like again, I, when for those of you who don't know, when my dad decides to do one of these episodes, I will do very little research into it um, on the basis that I want to learn as much as you guys do. So um, I do a little bit, so I know roughly what's going on, and I'm not completely out of the loop. But um, you'll hear me throughout the episodes with me, Dad, going, "Wow, oh my god, really?" and things like that. <laughs> and that's because I genuinely don't know certain parts of the episodes so much like you guys probably do when you're listening to it um and i'm sure dad does when he listens to some of my episodes it's, oh yeah um, you know it, it, i i like to do it that way so i'm almost like a listener for the for the episode so it's quite nice um plus it requires a lot less work from me so of course it does yeah <laughs> so uh, i'm quite happy for that um but yeah so thank you for listening let us know if you do like this era in history because like i said it is uh it's not one I cover very often. Um, I don't tend to go for the ancient history very often. Um, but if you do enjoy it, let me know. Drop me a message. We can always get some more of this stuff out. Like I said, we're going to be covering um, Boudicca, uh, the Queen of the Iceni, probably one of the most famous British uh, women of all time. So that'll be a good one for you. Um, and we will probably go to a few other Roman issues that were quite good. So I, I quite like Caligula. Um, oh, he was wonderful, wasn't he? Yeah. So there are there are a few things that we will definitely be covering in the near future for you guys. Um, but again, let me know. Drop me a message. There's Facebook, which is this week in history. Um, you can join the group um, and drop me a message. Uh, yeah. If you hear any noises in the background, do it. the dog has been with us for the last episode, sort of breathing in the background. So you might hear that every now and again, but. Hopefully that's not been too yeah, distracting. It's not one of us. No. Um, <laughs> uh, or you can contact me through email, which is twih at gmail.com. Um, or failing that, like I say every week, uh, there we go, he's coughing now. Uh, we say every week, if you do enjoy the episodes and you do want to drop us uh, uh, onto our Patreon, it's $5 a month. It's patreon.com forward slash this week in history, or just type it in on, on Google or in the search bar. Uh, $5 a month gets you all of these episodes minus the adverts, plus it'll also get you access to the extra shows that we put up on there as well. So it is worth the extra five dollars a month and it goes towards helping us out with the podcast uh, helps buy new equipment and things like that so if that uh, interests you get yourselves over there so thank you for listening guys and we'll see you next week and just remember we all have history make yours great bye bye Geico presents Daily Affirmations. Repeat after me. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts are like the ocean. Our thoughts create our reality. Our thoughts create our reality. We're thinking Geico offers claim service 24-7 with personalised attention from an assigned team. Geico offers claim service? Um, I-, I wasn't thinking that. We think it and it becomes our reality. So, uh, what about washboard abs? Just give it a go. Think really hard. Okay, abs, abs, abs. Yep, abs. keep thinking. To manifest more Geico in your life, go to geico.com.